thank you for this day. We thank for this opportunity we have to come before you and to worship you in the word. We thank you for your spirit being here among us. Guide and lead us as we go forward in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Starting at verse 13. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in you, which was given you by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give yourself wholly to them, that, you, that your profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto yourself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you shall save both yourself and those that hear you. So we're going to look at this. Paul is saying to Timothy, I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> I want to come and see you. And he gives Timothy some instructions as a young pastor. He says, pay attention to these things as a pastor. Well, what does that mean to us as Christians who aren't pastors and teachers? It means this is what we should be looking for in a church uh, pastor. So we're going to look at these. What did Paul tell him to do? He said, Till I come, give attention to reading. And this give attention is to be attentive, to take heed. And reading is not just reading the scriptures, but knowing the scriptures. All right? Uh, and I've shared this with you. My goal is to get people to at least read. Now, the sad thing is there are many Christians who don't even read the Bible. And I've met them over the years. You know, in over 47 years, I've been found a lot of people who barely read the Bible. Okay, so my first goal for our church is to get us reading the Bible. <laughs> the second goal is to get us studying the Bible. Okay, that's the next step, and that's what this is all about. It's not just reading that he's talking about. It is knowing what you read. Uh, at the prison, I get this test about to people, in there, and so many of them do not pass the reading part of the test. And I encourage them, read more books but I also tell them, read nonfiction books, because when we entertain ourselves, when we read fiction books, we kind of turn off our minds, and we're just being entertained. Don't read the Bible as a fiction book. <laughs> okay? It is truth. It tells us how to live. When we read the Bible, we're to really be looking at it and saying, God, what is it <laughs> I'm supposed to be learning? And I've shared with you, and you all know this, because I've heard it from so many of you that are reading through the Bible each year, that you read something in the morning, and God has this really strange way of making it applicable for that day. You know, it's an amazing thing. I'll be reading in there, and okay, God, this is kind of strange, but okay, I'm going to think about it all day, and the next thing I know, it's the verse I need when I'm talking to somebody. Or it's the verse that I need when I'm going through something. We read for the purpose of knowing, not just reading. Now, if we can get people just to read it, I'm going to be happy. <laughs> if all we can do is get somebody starting reading, because God says his word does not return void, and so his word will affect your life. And when you've read the Bible through two or three times, I've heard this over and over, I'm seeing so much more there. It's starting to connect, and things are making sense. So start out. If you have trouble, read it. Just spend time reading it. If you read three chapters a day, you'll make it through the whole Bible in a year. If you can't do three chapters a year, read one a day and you'll get through it in a three years. I don't care how long it takes you to get through it. You know, take and get through it. If you go, well, I can't read the King James, fine. Go find a version that you can read. Okay? I don't really care what version you read. 
I teach from the King James. I think it's one of the better translated versions. It's not necessarily the best, but it's one of the better translated versions. But if you like something else, use it. You know, people will go, what's the best version of the Bible? My answer is very simple, the one you'll read. Okay, if you had the best translated Bible, the most accurate Bible in the world, but you couldn't read it, it doesn't do you a bit of good. You go, I got the best translated Bible. Well, how much are you reading? Well, once or twice a year. Well, go get something you can read. You know, God's word is going to stand through. And then as you start maturing, you'll probably find, okay, I don't like this, this version. Yes, it's easy to read, but I don't like it. Let me go a little deeper, and then we can help you find a better, better version than, than it's out there. You know, and even, as, even though I use the King James Bible, it's kind of interesting to me. There are people out there that say, you must use the King James Bible. And on those people, I'll ask, well, why are you using the ninth translation of the English Bible as the one that you must use? Now, how many of you knew that the King James was the ninth translated English Bible? Not, probably not very many of you. Okay, it was not the first. <laughs> okay, matter of fact, it's even based on one of the other versions. That our founding fathers used, that King James didn't like because of things that were in that in that the Geneva Bible that he didn't like. It de-emphasized the power of a king. He wanted the emphasis on the king power of the king, so he had him retranslate it. So we look at this and say, why? Why do we use what we use? And be careful. Make sure you know. Peter says, be ready always to give a reason for what you believe. I can give you reasons why I like the King James better than most of the other Bibles that I've read. But again, I'm not going to say you must use the King James. We will look. You know, some Bibles are very poor. <laughs> some Bibles are very badly translated. But you know, they still have God's word in it. And if that's the one you like reading, you know, I shared with a person a long time ago because they hated the good news for modern man. And I'm going to tell you, it was one of the worst paraphrases in the Bible that was there. But... It had enough of the gospel and the blood of Christ to get people saved. Millions of hippies got saved by one of the worst translated versions of the paraphrased out there. Was it a good book? Probably not. I would not call it a good book, but God used it because people would read it. So we want to be able to look at this. A lot of people have trouble with the old English or the Shakespearean type of English. Don't like it? Go find another Bible. And as you notice, when I read it, I don't put the shouts and the vowels and the THs and the, and the these. I take them out as I read them. I'm still reading the King James Bible. In case you all have ever wondered what I'm reading, I'm reading the King James Bible without the old language, uh, words on it. Then he says to exhortation. Exhortation is encouragement. Okay. It can be encouragement to better behavior. It could be encouragement to continue the behavior that you are doing. It could be encouragement to correct behavior that you're doing. We are called as Christians to exhort one another. And we have to be careful because exhortation, especially when you're looking at correcting bad behavior, can very quickly move into judging. Okay, And our job is not to judge one another. Our job is to exhort one another and encourage people. Now, that does not mean there aren't sins that people need to change. That does not mean that there's behaviors that they don't need to change. But we need to be going with the right attitude when we talk to somebody. And I've shared with you over and over, if you do not love the person enough to be praying for them, do not try to correct their life. All right? One thing about it is when you start praying for them, 
my experience is most of the time God changes them. He doesn't need me to come in and change them when I'm praying for them. Because if I'm not praying for somebody and I try to change them, I'm going to mess it up. Every single time, I'll mess it up. But if I'm praying for you and I'm not seeing the change, then I can come to you and know, I have been really concerned about you. I've been seeing this in your, in your life and I've been praying for you. Here's some verses I want you to consider. But I'm praying for you that God will work in your heart. Exhortation. When we see each other doing the things that are right, I am so glad that you're out there testifying and you're out there witnessing or you're doing this or, or you're living for God. One of the greatest things I like is watching how lives are changing in this church. And when I get to go around other pastors going, you know what God's doing in my church? I go, is your church growing? I go, well, not numerically, but my people are growing spiritually. I'm watching them get out more and pass out tracts. I'm getting them coming out to services. You know, we only get about six to eight people out on most of the weeknights, you know, but this church is only 25 people. That's 30% of the crowd coming out. Do you realize how many pastors would love to have 30% of their people come out to a middle-of-the-week service? That would mean a church that runs 300 people would be having 90 people coming out. I could tell you, most of them only have about 20 or 30 people coming out. Maybe 10%. God blesses us. You all are faithful. You are learning. You are growing. You know, God has a ministry, and we exhort one another. We lift each other up. We build each other up. We sang that song that by his goodness, he binds us like a fetter to him. Do you know God loves us so much that Jesus died for us, and it's his love and his grace that changes us? You know, we've talked about this. How many times does somebody tell you, you can't do something? And I've told you, as soon as somebody tells me I can't do something, I immediately start thinking, why can't I do something? You know, get a homeowner service uh, association tells you you can't paint your house pink with, uh, pink with purple polka dots, and immediately my thought would be, I want my house to be painted pink with polka dots just because they told me I couldn't. Not that I'd want to live in a house with pink, pink with polka dots, but... They told me I couldn't. God gives us a lot of rules. And you know what? If we focus on his rules, we're going to live depressed lives. We want to think about all the things he allows us to do. Last week in the bulletin, we put in there, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God gave them one rule. <laughs> Out of all the trees in the garden, you can't eat this one. And what do we find them doing in the, in the next verse? They're by that tree. They could eat of every tree in the garden. But before we get too judgmental of them, we do the same thing, don't we? God, you told me not to do that. Why can't I do this? All the liberty and freedom we have to do all the other things, and we kind of just focus on the one or two things, the handful of things that God says don't do. And you know, if you're focused on the things you can't do, how miserable is life? It's terrible. Well, you know what? I can't do this. Well, what about this? You could do this, 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 or this. You know, why are you focused on what you can't do? You know, I can't be angry or mean to people, but God says, go ahead and love them. You know, if I concentrate on the love part, I'm not going to be going out trying to be mean to them and hurt them. Okay? And this isn't positive thinking or anything. It's just saying God says, look at what you can do. You know? I share you one of my favorite hymns is Count Your Blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. 
How many times do we get so wrapped up in and all the bad that's happened in our life, oh, woe is me. And your nose is stuck in front of your problems. You can't see anything but the problem right in front of your face. And then you step back and you see all the blessings God has given you. Exhortation. Build one another up. Encourage one another. Look for the good. There's good that you can see in every single person. Look for the good and encourage. Sometimes as parents, we get so locked into the bad our kids are doing that we forget to encourage them for the good they're doing. And we do that in our own life. We get look at all the bad things that we're doing and get, sometimes forget the encouragement. He goes on to say, in, besides exhortation, to doctrine. Now, we've talked about this. Doctrine is a word that scares so many people. All it means is that you've learned something. <laughs> OK? Uh, it's a set of rules that allow you to decide how to go forward in something. Uh, many years ago in history, we had the Monroe Doctrine that we taught in school. And that was a set of rules that this is how the United States was going to deal with foreign powers. God gives us doctrine. It is how we are to live our life. You know, when God gives us these rules, it's not to say you can't do all these things, but if you want the blessings, follow these rules. You know, I got news for you. It's taken me a long time, but I like to live under the blessings. <laughs> I try to obey God as much as possible. I'm just like the rest of you. I fail. I make mistakes. I say things I shouldn't do. I do things I shouldn't do. But overall, I'm trying to live with the blessings. God, what is it you want me to do? Not what can't I do. You know, God gives us some pretty straightforward instructions. Last month, we were memorizing the verse that says, Go <laughs> and witness. Well, that's a pretty straightforward question. Now, I can look at all the people I have trouble witnessing to, but God says, go. Go talk to people that you can talk to. You know, if you're afraid to go out to talk to the drunk or the biker or whatever, I'm going to tell you they're easier to talk to than your, than, your, than your friends. You know, usually people have a harder time talking to their friends and their family about God than anybody else doesn't make a whole lot of sense because you would think you would love your family well enough to want them to go to heaven and spend eternity with you, but you're so afraid because you've got your life invested in them and they might just get mad at you. If I tell them about Jesus, they might not invite me to any more family reunions. Well, you know what? I'd rather have them mad at me on this earth for a reason than mad at me when they stand before the white throne and say, you knew that this was coming and didn't tell me? No. Salvation, this is so important. What are the doctrines that we believe? God's going to test what you believe. And we go over this all the time. Whatever he teaches you and you believe, you're going to be tested in. You know, and it's a test that's designed to make sure, do you believe it? If you've been studying something for a long time, your test is going to be harder than the person who's getting the first test. I we talked about they get a kindergarten test, you might get a high school test or, or a doctorate test. Who knows? Depending on how far you are, God will always test what we're doing. Doctrine, what do you know? What have you learned about God? And the pastors are to do instruction, exhortation, and teaching of doctrine. So especially we're doing this for the Internet people. If they, don't, if they don't have a pastor like that, they need to find another church. <laughs> find a pastor who's going to give those three things because that's what Paul told Timothy, do. And most good pastors are doing these things. Don't get me wrong. There's, there's a lot of good pastors out there that do these things. There are poor pastors out there. And if you're in one of those churches, get out. Um, then he says, neglect not the gift 
that is in you, which was given by prophecy in the laying hands of the presbytery, which means elders. <laughs> in this particular case for Timothy, they laid their hands on him and dedicated him to the ministry. But you know, we say this all the time, each one of us has a gift that's given to us. That it's given to us by the Holy Spirit. We need to find out what that gift is and practice that gift. For some people, it may just be the gift of helping other people. You know, that's a powerful gift. Don't ever think that that's not a great gift because the church can't operate without people that are out there helping other people. Loretta's favorite gift was caring, taking care of the weeds until she couldn't do it anymore. You know, we need people who just say, I want to do the landscape. You know, I'll go out with the lawnmower every, every week or every other week. I'll pull the weeds. I'll trim the trees. You know, because that's not for everybody to do. The job I do as pastor, not everybody of you are going to be called to be the pastor. It'd be kind of a strange church if we had everybody called to be a pastor. Come time to the sermon and 25 people stand up preaching, it would be a very chaotic world. We don't want that. We want somebody to say in something that is worthy to everybody. But we also have teachers for Sunday school classes. We have all kinds of jobs that need to be done. God calls us all to witness. But you know, there are some people that are called to be witnesses. They're fun to be around. They're, they're kind of, you know, I've told you, I went to lunch with one time, and it was a kind of a strange event. He told everybody the gospel about 100 times while we sat there for lunch. Yeah, and he wasn't obnoxious about it. If I had told 100 people about the gospel message, they would have gone, get out of the store. But he was just so good at it, and it came so natural to him that it wasn't offensive. You know, we all are called to do certain things. We're all called to love. There are some people that are really called to love. They have the gift of loving and so strong a way, and hopefully you've met people like that. You, know, you, just, you want to be around them because they're just so loving. They're so forgiving. They're so kind. You know, all of these things, find out what God has gifted you to do and step out. You know, we have an older population in our church. God still has a plan for you all. Until you go to heaven, there's a plan for you. It may not be the same plan you had at 20 years old or 30 years old. You may have to slow down and not do the same things. But you're not going to retire from God's kingdom until you enter into heaven. There's something that he's called you to do. What that is, I don't know. <laughs> That's for you and God to figure out. You know, some people are called to be prayer warriors. Now, I've heard people say, well, I'm a prayer warrior. And I talk to them, well, how many prayers? Well, I don't know. I just pray a lot. I go, well, you may be a good pray person, but don't tell me you're a prayer warrior if you're not getting answers to your prayers. So we want to be able to look, what has God called you to do? When you're doing what God has called you to do, it's so easy. It really is easy when you're doing what God calls you to do. In our PowerPoint, there's a statement that I put up there, and I, it really struck me. We do not burn out because of what we do. We burn out because we forget why we're doing it. All right? I do not burn out because I'm busy telling people the gospel message. I will burn out when I forget why I'm telling them the gospel message. I will not burn out as a teacher because I'm teaching too much. I will burn out because I forget why I'm teaching somebody. You know, so we want to be able to look at this. We start doing things because God has called us to do it, or we have a desire, internal desire, but for us, God. And how easy is it sometimes to get just so wrapped up in doing it that we forget why? We forget why. Why, God, did you ask me to do these things? 
And we want to be able to look at this. And Paul is saying, keep doing these things. Don't neglect that. Verse 15 says, meditate upon these things. Give yourself wholly to them that your property may appear to all. Meditation. Now, meditation is a word that gets used a lot in the world. But in, I want to tell you that biblical mem- meditation is nothing like what the world talks about. Okay, the world with its Eastern min- uh, mysticism and all these things teaches you that meditation is empty in your mind and not thinking about anything. That's a great way to have devils and demons popping into your mind. Let me empty my mind and be defenseless. God says meditate. He says meditate on my word. (laughs) Meditate on my truth. Meditate on my doctrine. The greatest thing that happens, this is why I've encouraged so many of us to read your Bible in the morning. Okay, if you can't read it in the morning, I don't care. Read it sometime. But when you read it in the morning, you get to think about it all day. You get to think about what you read and kind of mash it up and, and really consume it and really start understanding what is it that God wants me to understand on this. So keep this in mind. When you're talking to people, sometimes definitions can be very important. If you're talking to a lost person, you talk about meditating on God's word, they're going, oh, yeah, I meditate all the time. Well, tell me about your meditation. Get on the same page with them on what they mean. It kind of gets interesting because you all know I work at the prison. You know, if I start talking to people out there about God, I better find out what religion they're practicing. Because they could be talking about a totally different God than I'm talking about. In America, it used to be you could talk about God and everybody knew that you were talking about the creator of the universe that sent his son Jesus to die. Nowadays, you don't know what they're talking about. You do not know the God that they're talking or the gods that they're talking about in some cases. I get, to, I get to talk to people out of the prison that, that are worshiping Thor. You know, I don't know how many of you even know who Thor is. <laughs> you know, he's the Danish god. You know, the god of Scandinavia. You know, they're worshiping Thor. They're worshiping all kinds of gods out there. You know, we need to be careful. Are we talking the same thing? I was dealing with an issue at the prison and work. You know, found out that for almost two years... My boss and the salesperson have been talking apples and oranges. She's thinking we're making progress. They think we're making progress, and we're not making any progress because they're both headed to two different destinations. How many times do we do that? We start telling people about the gospel of Christ, and we don't know that they're even talking about the same thing. We talk about sin. Any disobedience to God, any disobedience to God is... As CEF says, anything I think, say, or do is sin, if it's against God. Because that's what Jesus said. If you think something, you've committed sin. The world, if they understand sin at all, are not going into any of this thinking stuff. It's all about doing, and then they're going to define sin totally different. We need to make sure that we talk about these things. Words change their meaning over time. The word tolerance, if you don't know that tolerance has changed its meaning, especially for a group in this room that believe that tolerance says that you have the right to be wrong, you can believe what you want, but there's only one right. Today's world says tolerance is that you have to give equal value to whatever somebody else believes. Why is our world in such a mess? Because we can't tell them this is what God says. You know, God calls that sin. Well, that's so intolerant. You know, 
And I've told you, when, I, when they call me intolerant, I go, yes, I am. I believe what God says. There's a standard that must be lived by. Now, they, they, it shocks them because the worst thing you can call somebody in the younger world is being intolerant. That's a terrible insult. But I go back to the book of Acts in Antioch where they called people Christians. You are nothing but Christ followers. It was an insult to the Antiochs. They were using it as an insult. And the Christians go, you know what? We kind of like that. We like that title because we are supposed to be Christ followers. So they took that title. Now Christian does long, hardly means what it used to mean. You know, a lot of Christians out there are not Christ followers. You know, it's kind of strange. I don't know what they believe half the time you talk to them. They don't believe the Bible. They don't believe what Christ did. And he goes, meditate on these things. What things? Bible reading, doctrine, meditation. And give yourself over to them that you, by your profiting, may appear, that your profiting may appear to all. Profiting here does not mean making money. It's his, their, your obedience. Your obedience will appear to all. How many times do you see that people have looked at you and said, you know, well, you're not acting very Christian-like. Hopefully that's not what we're hearing. Hopefully you're hearing, I've watched you, and you are somebody I want to see. I, you know, I want to know the God you're following. I've had that happen so many times. You know, people go, well, why do you smile all the time? Why are you happy all the time? I love that question because even at work, I can then tell them about Jesus. You know, does our life reflect Jesus or not? You know, it's been said that for many of them, the only Bible they're going to read is a Christian. Are they seeing a judgmental, angry person, or are they seeing somebody who loves and shows the love of God and is faithful? You know, I'm not trying to condemn people on this. I'm just saying, how does your life, are you being changed by God and showing a life that lifts him up? It's easy not to. We are fleshly beings, and we very easily live in the flesh and make mistakes. But you know, even when you make a mistake and you repent and you turn back to God, that can be a great inspiration to people too. They really don't want to see perfect people because they know they're not perfect. So if they see a Christian who's saying they're perfect and maybe even acting like they're perfect, they're going to be very bugged by this. You know, I can't be that life. And I've heard that. I've heard that in a test. Well, you know, I can't be perfect. I'm going, nobody's going to ask you to be perfect. Well, I can't give up this sin. I'm going, I'm not asking you to give up that sin. I'm asking you to turn to Jesus. You know, you, you turn to Jesus, you get Jesus in your heart, and the Holy Spirit fills you. He changes them. <laughs> you know, he changed me over, over time. He changes each one of you that are a Christian over time. He didn't go, okay, get rid of your drugs and your alcohol and your bad thoughts and, your, and this, that, and the other thing, and then we'll think about saving you. That's not the way God works. He says, I sent Jesus while you were sinners to die for your sin so that you could become a Christian. We are all sinners. We're born sinners. You know, we don't sin. You know, we're not sinners because we're, we sin. We're born sinners. We sin because we are sinners. Okay? You know, and this is what the world wants to tell you. We're all perfect until we do something wrong. Baloney. It's not what God says. You know, we're, we, desire to, we desire to do good. None of us desire to do good without God. I've already told you, as soon as somebody tells me I can't do something, I immediately in my flesh want to do it. doesn't mean I'm going to, 
But my flesh jumps up and says, well, you just watch me. I'm, I'm going to be disobedient. Then the Spirit comes in and says, no, we're, gonna, we're going to obey. Not always, but usually. You know, we want to be able to look at this. He says that all may be see what you do. Take heed to yourself and unto doctrine. Continue in them, for in so doing you save yourself and others that see you. Our obedience keeps us out of trouble. You know, we keep saying this. Sin has consequences. When you sin, there are going to be repercussions for that sin. The good news is obedience has consequences. We just like to call them rewards. <laughs> okay. When you do things that God wants you to do, there are rewards that follow. When we do things that God says not to do, there are consequences. All of us know that that's a fact. In our lifetime, we look and say, when I've done bad things, these are what happened. Okay, and he says, by your obedience, Timothy, you'll save yourself and others. Now, we can't be really held for or responsible for what others see us do, but you know, by the same token, Paul over and over says, you've got liberty to do whatever you want, but don't use that liberty to hurt somebody. People see you doing things, and you may have perfect liberty. You have no problem doing it. It's not a sin. It doesn't say thou shalt not, and, but you have no problem doing it. You know, we think, especially in our area, things like alcohol or gambling, there are no verses that say do not drink or do not gamble. They're not very wise things to do. <laughs> there are all kinds of principles that say we probably shouldn't do them. But if you have no problem doing that, fine. But if it's going to hurt a brother or a sister in Christ, don't do it. Don't do it. Even though you have the permission and, and liberty to do it, don't do it. Because it's so critical that we don't hurt one another. You know, Paul used it in the idea of, for the Corinthians, if you go to buy meat offered to idols, okay, no big deal to us. We don't have idols. We don't have, you know, but in that day, they would offer the animals to the, to, the, to the God, and they never burned the whole animal. Even the Jews didn't burn the whole animal very often. The meat would go to, and for the Jewish people, it went to the priests. Well, in the other religions, they would get, take this food, and they'd go down to the bottom of the hill at the bottom of the temple, and they'd sell the meat. And there were people who had no problem. They knew that that was just a hunk of rock or gold up there. It was no big deal. It was good food. It was fresh food. It was, you know, not a problem. He goes, but if it offends somebody, don't do it. He didn't say don't, you, you can't do it, but he says if it's going to offend a brother or a sister, don't do what you have liberty to do. You know, God puts restrictions on us for that exhortation and love of one another. And this is what he's telling Timothy. Live correctly, Timothy, because as a pastor, you're being watched. <laughs> but you know, not even just pastors, but as a Christian, you're being watched. If you've told your neighbors that you're a Christian, they're looking to see how does a Christian live. They're looking to say, do you go to church on Sunday morning? Do you go, you know, are the police at your house every Friday night because you've been drinking and, and having a fight with your spouse, like so many of the other people on the street? You know, are you in a place where you're harassing people and not keeping your place up? They're looking at you. They're watching. How do you live differently as a Christian? We have an obligation to those that are watching us to live correctly, not to make points with God, not to make him love us more, but for people to see God in a presentation of life. We're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this. Lord, we ask that you help us to live for you. 
that people, when they look at our lives, will see you. Lord, if there's anybody that listens to this, or even in this room that doesn't know you, we ask that today they make a decision for you. That they will recognize that they're a sinner and that sin is to be punished and you will punish sin. But that they will confess they're a sinner and turn to you and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Have him indwell them and so be changed. And Lord, if there's anybody that makes that decision, we ask that they will talk to another Christian and encourage that Christian to help get them started on the path for discipleship. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.